as the iconic music plays in the background. <laughs> I know. I always like to start the show just by, <laughs> just by saying something ridiculous to see how you'll react. It's like, what? <laughs> no, I know. I know it's dumb. You know, I'm not trying... Listen, the whole formality is out the window now with me. I'm just, you know... Who needs formality? Exactly. People, here's the thing. If you've downloaded the show, you know that it's Swing Thoughts. Okay, so you didn't do that by mistake. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is... What's this thing that just showed up? How come I'm hearing dire straits? <laughs> That's right. Why is this song playing? And these two, why won't they, two of them stop talking so I could hear Mark Knopfler? Double four time. He's a great uh, guitar player. Oh, no, he is. I, we, I don't think we've talked about it. I bet you'd be a good golfer, too. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's uh, Swing Thoughts, and uh, welcome to it. He's Tim. I'm Howard. Uh, we golf. We talk about golf. Uh, I'm golf spiritual leader because 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 I so. because I say I am, and so shut it. You know what? If you don't follow me, that's fine. I'm my own. Listen, I've got a I've got a constituency of one right now. Right now, I'm up to one follower. Don't sell yourself short. No, no, for my spiritual. When it comes to my spiritual leadership, right now I've got one follower, and it's me, and that's the only follower. Now you that have matters. You have acolytes who virtually want to touch the hem of your garment. Tim O'Connor is a uh, golf coach of some renown. He is uh, at least the best uh, mental performance coach in his home and uh, and at other places too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we are excited today. What a show we've got for you! What a show we've got for you! You're probably like, I wonder what Tim and Howard are going to say about the golf demic. Uh, we'll get to it. Um, I want to. I want to mention before we start, though, uh, that the program is brought to you as always by TaylorMade. Experience the drives every golfer wants to hit, and no golfer wants to follow. With the all-new Sim Two driver only from TaylorMade, TaylorMadeGolf.ca, and of course, our apparel is uh, generously supplied by Jonathan Wong. Uh, and he's here with us, as you can see, Jonathan Wong, Inc.com. Before we get started, guys, though, <clears throat> do you ever uh, tee off on the first hole of, of a golf match or a round, and you're about like halfway through the, the fairway, and you realize you left your putter on the uh, practice screen, and you have to wave down the ranger, or you have to run back and get it yourself? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay. Or you left a wedge beside number yeah, 17. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've all done that. So before we introduce Jonathan um, formally, <laughs> you guys, I'm, you talk amongst yourselves. I got to go turn something off. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. So I, I just I just left something on the, the putting green, and I'll explain when I come back. But you, you just right. talk to Jonathan for a second. Very, very formal. Very fun. Okay, yeah. So that's that's our show. Yeah. Well, we improvise because that's sometimes what you do in life and in golf. But uh, John, before we hit record, um, in reference to the golf demic, um, man, let's just get right to it. Boy, some dumb things that the premier of our province said yesterday. Oh boy, about the whole. You know, one of the reasons they they've shut this golf thing down is oh well, we don't want people to uh, have beers and stuff together afterwards. My God, talk about selling us short on brains. 
you know, golf courses have been following these strict protocols. You know, when you're done, off you go. I don't know. What did you think when you heard or read that? Yeah, I, I, I think last year we proved that, you know, we can play golf and it's safe. Um, you know, there were a lot of restrictions going on. You showed up 50 minutes before your tee time. You left right after it. So, you know, I just think the comments the premier made yesterday were, were you know, he says golf is safe, but then he goes and says mobility is an issue when I live a kilometer from my golf course. You know, it's, it's, it's not a big issue. And, and it's, it's affecting, you know, my business and my livelihood. It's, 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 it's just hard to deal with, really. I know, because it just seems like, it seemed, Howard, we were talking about the stupid comments that Ford made yesterday. That part of the reason they shut down golf is because golfers, you know, they might be, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, carpooling to go to the golf course? No. And that they're hanging around having beers afterwards? No. No. Yeah. So I, I just think it's more sort of a, of the uh, making it up as they go along uh, type of rationalization of a stupid decision that they regret making. But now that they made it, they can't find a way to get out of it. 85% of, um, by the way, I'm back now. I, I went away and Welcome I came back. back. <laughs> and I'm curious, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it's up to you if you want to share. Well, no, with, here's yeah. the thing. I, I, re- <laughs> I, I, were, I have a studio. I mean, people can see I work in a studio here that we built in my, in my townhouse in Toronto. And what we do is during the show, during the Humble and Fred show back here, during that, we always shut off the uh, air because it, it, you could hear the sound of it. So as we started yeah. the show, I'm a little bit nervous. You guys could hear me when, when we first started, right? You guys, you could hear me speaking to you? Yes, I could. Yes. Loud and clear. All right. And I still do. Okay. <clears throat> well, 85% of rounds uh, of golf in Ontario last year were played within a, a very, um, everyone played in their own, you know, sort of home course. Jonathan, you live close to your course. Um, I played most of my rounds at one place last year, which was unusual for me. But the the rationale behind all of it is uh, curious. And I just came in at the end there, Jonathan. So it's impacting your business. It's impacting everyone in the business's business. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. Um, you know, most of my business, you know, I sell across Canada, but my biggest market is Ontario. So for sure it's affected my business. People aren't ordering, shops aren't open, people aren't selling products. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, a struggle a bit in a way. Weren't a lot of the orders for your uh, Jonathan Wong apparel? And by the way, if you want to see some of the stuff, it's jwapparelinc.com. And we'll talk about some of the brands that you rep. Were, were a lot of stuff, was it already in place or was it just getting ready to be shipped? No, most of most of the product is already in shop, but um, with golf courses closed and and pro shops closed, you know, it's it's interesting. People last year um, that were inventive and that did different things like do online shops or, you know, put product outside did very well last year. And I, I, you know, we were expecting the same thing to happen this year with a very good year. But, um, you know this shutdown has has affected everybody so it's not a great thing for business um, no. there's 
there's a lot of money out there in golf and it's uh it's being affected drastically six billion dollars is what the uh amount of money spent in ontario on golf 110,000 uh people make their business uh, living in the business 800 golf courses and uh you know and i i talked about this a lot on the humble and fred show this past week and i got a bit of pushback from our audience in a weird way because they were like we had bob weeks on one day and so we spent about 25 minutes talking to weeks about the you know this whole thing and then we spent about 15 minutes afterwards talking about you know, golf in general. And so some of the pushback was, oh, yeah, it's easy. You know, you're, you're bummed because it affects you. And I said, you know, it's not just me. It's my friend Tim. It's Jonathan Wong. It's Sean Casey. It's Charles Fitzsimmons. And on and on. It's Mike uh, Gerson, Mike Marshall. It's Clublink. It's all the people in my life. Kids who work in back shops. But, but no, sakes. yeah, but I'm saying in my world, in your world, in our world, yeah, lots of other people have been affected by the pandemic, but in this case, it's people that I know and deal with every day, just as you two do. And so I think, you know, it's so easy to go, oh, golf, it's elitist, all that bullshit. But yeah. it's it's real people like Tim and Jonathan and Sean and all the people that, that I deal with that are that lives are being disrupted. Yeah, and in a really serious way, too. In terms of when you look at golf courses, they operate on pretty thin margins because the expense of running a golf course is so high in terms of all the equipment to, to mow the lawns, um, cut the greens, and never mind all the inputs and everything. So you got to be bringing in some cash <laughs> to help offset that stuff. And so there was someone from the Northern Ontario Golf Association a couple of days ago saying that, you know what, this could this could really make or break a lot of basically mom and pop golf courses and the majority of golf courses in this province are not these private golf courses they're public they're uh, many of them are family owned nine hole courses and if they're not bringing in cash folks that is a tough spot to be in eight percent of uh, ontario uh, golf is on private courses the rest is on golf courses that cost between 50 and 75 dollars a round which if you think about it if the three of us and our buddies were renting ice it's about 30 bucks an hour so you know, do the mathematics. But you know what, guys? Um, and I'm going to talk about this with Tim once we uh, get into the uh, Tim and Howard portion later. But, you know, let's take the next few minutes and just talk about something other than the negative part of this. Let's talk about, you know, I've been around this game since I was 11 years old. I worked at a golf course in Moose Jaw, and I've been around pro shops. And I got to tell you, Jonathan, you know, I'm, I don't know that I've ever seen nicer golf stuff. I, 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 let me put this way. Nicer, affordable golf stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is very, like, Tim's, Tim and I are wearing, are we wearing the same color stuff? I think we are. It's just, I think, I, uh, I think I, for just, just so everyone knows, I'm wearing a fairways and green <laughs> Owen Stripe Tech Polo. Are you? And it's the color is not just blue, it's sea spray. <laughs> I think I'm wearing a, it's, it's a B-Dratty. I don't have the details, but I think it's blue. It is blue. Am I wearing the same one as you, Jonathan? With, with two colorblind, I've never dealt with two colorblind people before in my life. I, I know. 
to script you every show like like the majors and make <laughs> That's sure right. you're wearing the right things. That would be smart. It, it what, could get difficult, but... My what, wife put this together. She said she just went into the closet and go, this and this. Damn oh, thank God. God. It, it's funny it's, you say that because when, when all the stuff arrived, my girlfriend Rachel was here and she said, okay, I'm going to put it in the closet in color gradients. And I just looked at her I'm like, what are you talking about? So she showed me. She put them all as the colors gradual and how the stuff fit together. But to my point about how nice everything is, like, wh- wh- where does this this stuff that you rep, the Beedratties, the Royal Albatross, the uh, Fairway and Green, etc., where does it fit into sort of the consumer? Where, where What are you looking to market to? Well, you know, I, I deal with you know, seven different companies. So um, the whole point of my business, Jonathan Wong Apparel, is is to offer clothing for all demographics, um, for men's and ladies from head to toe. So, you know, Summit Golf Brands offers Fairway and Green, which is a 25-year-old company, EP Pro, which is one of the highest selling ladies brands um, in North America, uh, B Dratty is a new brand for them that they created themselves by the designer Billy Dratty at uh, at Summit Golf Brands, and then Zero Restriction, which is an amazing outerwear line that mm-hmm. offers great layering pieces. Um, and then on top of that, I offer Garb, which is a kids exclusive line. So they only make kids clothing, which I think is a segment in golf that that is underserved. You know. Kids are usually a second thought with regard to most big brands. So Garb only makes product for, you know, from toddler or infant to teen. And (laughs) then Royal Albatross is my shoe line, which is uh, an Italian made um, leather, handmade leather shoe line, which which says it all. It's 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 a great line um, that can be worn on and off the golf course. And then PRG adds that accessory collection which is totally um exclusive accessories that can be made to order for your golf course so i think i i incorporate all aspects of golf um and all demographics for people to to purchase from one of the things that howard and i have both noticed is that is that as he mentioned this 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 strikes me as like higher level now in terms of um the the way it feels, uh, the way it wears, it's just it just seems to be like a, a higher level than I'm used to wearing. But does that necessarily <laughs> mean it's like expensive and out of reach? What do you think? No, we we are kind of um, Summit Golf Brands is basically a mid price point, uh, mid to higher price point um, in most pro shops. You know, we have high end product that can be offered to uh, you know. Beedratty is is a higher end shirt um, collection that's that's a little more expensive than other things, but you know ZR has their most expensive golf golf out you know outerwear, and then they have mid price point outerwear. So you know it's it's for a lot of different demographics and a lot of different price points. But I think that what the key th- one of the key things is about this type of apparel is that you get great value out of it. Yeah. We've all got, we've all had pullovers, sweaters, shirts. You wear them one season and they're done. I was just going to say that. Um, But these, 
these uh, these I think are I think they're going to last for a couple of years at least and more. Well, and that's the yeah. thing, I, you know, Jonathan. Before you I, I, that whatever the price of these are. They're definitely a cut above, not to be cliche, but they're definitely different than what we would normally wear as golfers. And Tim point, I, I think Tim's making a good point there that you get what you pay for and not only the, the durability of it, but they just look good. And they're, they, whatever, what is this material? I have no idea. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's all about quality with regard to Summit Golf brands and, and all the brands I carry, right? It's, it's important that the quality is great and... You know, the the consumer is getting value for for what they pay for. This is, by the way, I'm happy to have this conversation. This is the longest I've discussed my golf outerwear <laughs> with anyone. But I I think it's fascinating. Again, the, the the fact is, you know, golf fashion has changed. You've been in this business a long time, Jonathan, as we have. And you you just said something about garb and how normally kids' clothing was like an afterthought. I think golf fashion was like an afterthought for a long time. It but, was an oxymoron for a long well, time. Absolutely. But it's, and, and it's still kind of, you know, with the cliche about golfers wearing mismatched stuff. But how have you seen fashion change within the golf industry while in the time that you've been doing it? I think it's 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 a huge part of the golf business. You know, I got into this um, this business because I love clothes and I love golf. So that created my passion to start this, and and I've been doing it now for eighteen years. So I think you see the influences from from both the PGA Tour with regard to fashion. Yeah. You know, Jesper made a big statement when he was out on tour with regard to fashion. And I think, you know, people want to look good on the golf course and, you know, the saying you, you look good and you play good is, is, is definitely an important aspect. It's interesting that you mentioned Jesper because I think the European players, oh, yeah. uh, Oh, generally used to, I think they dressed better than the American players exactly. because you would see brand names like Boss and other European brands on European players. But I think they're, they, they've caught up on the PGA Tour, especially the younger guys now and the fashion that they wear. Is there a, 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 um, a danger? I don't think that's the right word. Where guys our age, there's an, like, this stuff seems very appropriate for us. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like I'm trying to look too young. It's sort of age appropriate as opposed to like skinny jeans and that stuff. <laughs> you know, the, the, the jogger pants. <laughs> that's right. The jogger. We're not wearing jogger pants anytime soon, O'Connor. Yeah. yeah like, you know, our, my brands offer clothing for all age groups, right? You know, stripes are in. Stripes are, are very popular these days. Okay. But, you know, Fairway offers some amazing prints. Um, you know, Bidratti offers great prints. I think that's the biggest trend right now is a lot of printed shirts with, with neat designs on it. And you wear that with a solid short and, and you look great on the golf course. So, but I know, think also age appropriate for any, anybody. Okay. Yeah. But I also think that these things are really, um, they're stylish, but I think the better word is classy. Yes. Like, yeah. All these shirts. Stylish. All these search we got from you, I mean, they would, I mean, it's really changed now in how we dress in the, um, you know, in the, in the office and all that kind of thing. And particularly during a pandemic, you still want to look good. Um, so what I think about these, uh, this apparel, Fairway and Green, Be Dratty, et cetera, um, gosh, you could, you could wear those 
yeah, to to a, a big meeting you have, and they go straight to the golf course. So it's yeah. efficient too. <laughs> you yeah. could you could wear it on the golf course, pretending you're at a big meeting. Um, next week, <laughs> yes. uh, we're going to be giving away some stuff for the PGA. Uh, during the majors this year, we're trying once again to do some swing thoughts, gives giveaways, and Jonathan has graciously uh, donated something to our prize pack. We're not sure what it is. It's going to be a polo or something. So next week, we'll give you details on how you can win something from JWApparelInc.com. I want you to go and, and check out some of the stuff because we're just, the three of us are wearing some of the stuff, but you got to go and see. All this, these lines that we're talking about, whether it's the the EPNY B Dratty Zero restriction, which, by the way, that sh- that over what do, what do you call it? It's not like, it's like a jacket with soft sleeves. I don't Shell? know. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I I just thought to myself, how it's like who thought of that? Because normally you wear a jacket and the arms are restricted, and then I'm like, oh, that's why they call it. Zero restrictions. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a genius. <laughs> because the arms... And all spiritual leader. <laughs> I know. The arms are soft, but the shell is shell. And then I was like, oh, that's why Jonathan's in the business. All right. Well, listen, Jonathan, we're going to let you go. But before we do, I, and I, I haven't run this by Tim because I didn't get a chance to before, but I want to start a new, a new segment... <laughs> And uh, maybe Tim and I will do it later by ourselves called What Are You Working On? Because every golf, you're a golfer, every golfer. I know we're a mental performance show, Tim. But believe me, we love golf swings. So you're a uh, Jonathan's a low, low handicap golfer. Even though it's the pandemic, the golf demic, no one's playing. What are you working on? I am working on my short game. There you go. Um. I've had a couple of issues with my short game last couple of years. So I am uh, in the backyard working on my chipping. I've got a net in my backyard, which I hit into on a daily basis and um, always working on something. No, absolutely. Well, there you go. So there's nobody that will have on this show that, you know, what? it's funny. Years ago, I lived in Los Angeles and there was a study or a, an article that came out in one of the local papers. And they the reporter walked up to 100 people on Hollywood Boulevard and said, how's your screenplay coming? <laughs> and, <laughs> and 75 of them went, oh, it's good. Here's what I'm working on. I'm working. So the golfers are like people sad. in L.A. We're always working on something. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. And, and thank you for giving away something next week. Yeah, and thank you for uh, coming on board as our as our sponsor this year. It's uh, you know, it's great to have you on board. Great to partner with you, and um, it's fun to uh, look great and classy. Okay. On this show, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play you off like it's a uh, like a, a 1960s gay uh, talk show, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan Wong from Jonathan Wong. Thank you very much, Jonathan Wong. Everybody, thank you. Take care, man. Now featuring sound effects. <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you. That was. Fun. I'm a little worried that yes. I'm going to, I'm a little worried that, uh, I mean, it's only a small worry. I was a little worried that my mic wasn't recording at the beginning. And then nope. it, I'm hearing you. Okay. Yeah. 
So, are oh, you worried about like your little recorder w- thing? I don't know. We'll see. But when when we're done, we'll check okay. it, and then we'll see. Okay. Uh, <sighs> you know, I think it's easy. Breathe. I think it's really easy to lean into. You know, being negative about this golf thing because it's because it really does affect so many people we know, mm-hmm. and and it affects us. You know, I was trying to explain that uh, to the audience. I said, you know, because it was interesting how I when Public I say I got a, audience, yeah, when I got when I say I got some pushback, it was weird. You know, <clears throat> it was almost like, what are you talking about golf so much for? I'm like, shut up, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And I tried to explain the next day. I said, the reason I, we talk about it is because I, it, it really does impact not just my can't play golf, Howard. It's also, you know, I'm, I'm in the golf business. All my mm-hmm. friends are in the golf business. You know, I, I talked to O'Connor. I talked to Sean Casey. I talked to Mike Grierson. I talked to everybody. And uh, it's a drag. Absolutely. And those are... Those things affect us. When it starts to affect our friends yeah. and the people we deal with, then it hits us in a in a real way. And that's that's the way it works in life. Until we start to feel these things, then it's just sort of like, oh yeah, I understand that uh, if you're a f- flight attendant for WestJet uh, and you're down the seniority pool, well then I guess it's not going very well for you. Yeah, uh, but. You can't. It's almost like until you walk a mile in someone's shoes, you can't understand what's going on for them. That's very. You know what? That's exactly the the point I was sort of making, and and it's like I I understand. I live on a busy street in Toronto. I know lots of businesses have been shut down. I, you know, and I don't. I of course we have empathy for that, but as you just said, until it hits home, you know that then it becomes your issue. You know, I, years ago we used to have this thing on the Humble and Fred show where you know we would. You know, we would offend people, but and everyone would laugh and laugh until it was the thing we offended about you. You know what I mean? Until it was the until we made a a a, a joke about a something that affected you. It's like, oh, I didn't. So you thought when we were making fun of the cancer people that was funny, but this isn't funny because it's lupus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's not very well explained, but you get the idea. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are professional communicators. <laughs> Maybe. I didn't um, explain that very well, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if I want to get into this now or when we're, uh, we finish talking with our uh, speed guy. But before, I, before this little business here, TaylorMade next week has given us, um, we're going to give away a couple of uh, two ball samplers, a TaylorMade hat, a master's putter cover, and... Cool. Uh, then we'll give away some uh, Jonathan Apparel stuff. It'll be a nice little PGA Championship prize package from your friends at Swing Thoughts. Thank you. There we go. Love that. What are you working on? Oh, um, mostly on uh, I've been putting. Uh, so I have this little routine that when I come into my office, mm-hmm. uh, I do a set of push-ups. And so while I am recovering and breathing hard, harder than normal, I hit three putts. Mm. And what I putt on about a 40-inch steel ruler, which uh, a little deal I learned from you. Golf spiritual leader. Absolutely. And um, 
I'm finding that most of the time I keep about 80% of the balls on that little ruler all the way till they hit my target. It's beautiful. It's not easy either. No, it's not. But the um, I'm working on a thing that I've been doing in um, this webinar I do called Quiet Eyes and just focusing on my eye on the back of the ball, let the putt go, but my eyes are still where the back of the ball was. Right. And I'm just amazed how well I hit the ball. Well, actually, you know what? It goes in line with what we've talked about with other things about um, focus of attention. So if I have my focus of attention on that ball, I'm not thinking all this stuff, and my body just goes and it hits lovely putts that ride along that ruler. Yeah, it's crazy how much... uh how much your eyes affect not only the way you putt, the way you release the club in a full swing. Um, it's interesting that we're having uh, Ryan Robillard on from Super Speed. He's our next guest because I've had the Super Speed sticks now for, I don't know, three years, three or four years. I lent them to a friend a couple of winters ago. I got them back this winter. Oh, you did? Yeah, and... Um, you know, I've been doing, I, I have, I, I got these on Amazon. They're really cheap. They're like $30 for these really? bands. No, not the oh, super speed. I'm saying, so yeah, I've been yeah. using these bands. So, um, and I do these golf stretches and I, Brooke Benny, Brooke, our yeah. boy, Brooke Benny Bamalam, uh, has given me a series of exercises, but I've started to incorporate the super speed sticks again. Cool. This is going to sound super geeky, but, but. This is the show for golf nerds. So I bought a uh, such a I'm such a freaking geek here. I bought a, a PGR PRGR um, monitor. It's like yeah. a swing speed monitor. It's a couple hundred bucks, size of a cell phone. And uh, it's interesting. This is all kind of coming together with uh, Ryan. So Super Speed recommends this for indoor training. And what you do is you use the sticks, and it will read your club head speed. Far out. Yeah, man. So you can use it outside and you can hit balls with it. And it's like a sort of a rudimentary track, man. But it will give you ball speed, club head speed, um, carry and distance. That's all you really need. I mean, it's not giving you like angles and stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I started using that uh, before the uh, pandemic shutdown part two, just because I thought, you know, I've got these, you know, I have the supers, I have the speed sticks and I have this. Brooke Benny training that I've been doing. And then it's just been interesting to see, you know, using these sticks indoors, uh, if it makes any difference on your club head speed. And it's been kind of fun. Yeah. And what would, uh, why do it outside when you can risk taking out your drywall? <laughs> oh, no, exactly. <laughs> well, the thing is with the sticks, you're not really hitting anything, but I was, I was trying to hit balls inside a couple days ago <laughs> when I first got the monitor because I wanted to try it out. It doesn't work as well, but I took it outside and, um, you know, I got it from Casey and I, and I took it outside. I really, all I want to know, and I think this is good information for any golfers. I just want to know how far the ball goes like for real, like yeah. how, how far do I carry my eight iron? Not how far do I think I do? Or, mm. you know, more importantly, not my range distance. What's sort of my average distance. So I've been working on that. That's good stuff to know. I mean, it is good stuff to know. Well, Dustin Johnson isn't part of his, I think the story around his 
uptick in performance over the last couple of years is that I think, what is it, before every round, he gets his little Porto track man thing out. Yeah. How far I'm hitting his various wedges today. Yep. And that just is such, that's so cool because that kind of just feeds into the whole Lee Trevino thing, you know, dance with the one that brought you that day. So, boy, you know what's happening that day. That's what you go with. That's just makes so much sense. You know, it used to be in the uh, exception that a tour player would have his track man on the range, uh, especially before a round. But now I think it's the rule. I mean, for, I've seen some video or some shots recently of guys warming up and they've all got they've all got something there, whether it's the track man or that other one, I think it's called Four foresight Flight or foresight. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a little I'm not. Isn't it crazy? I think it's PGR, PRGR. Ryan will Ryan will know because I think they. It's one. It's it's the one that Superspeed recommends. I think. Oh, okay. but, but it's a small monitor, honestly, and you sort of set it up, and it's got like a you know, it's you pointed generally at the direction you're hitting, and it it gives you this information, and and that's what I want to use it for, so that you know, every few rounds, I just want to know. How far am I hitting my gap wedge? Because, you know, as the season changes, like on a nice day like this, you're, you're, you know, you might be hitting it further. And again, for guys like you and I, a couple of yards isn't. I just want to know within five yards or 10 yards. But that makes a difference. There are days in which you're going out there and you, you know, first couple of holes and it's like comes up really short or long and you go like, oh, ball's not going as far today. Exactly. That's, that's good stuff to know. And Sorry, you're smiling. No, I'm just smiling. <laughs> Go ahead, finish. <laughs> I just, I just, you know what? Funny is, you, you and I had a conversation about our clothes. Now we're talking about wedge distances. This is why I love this show. It's all I want to do all day. I wish this show was nine hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's a show for golf geeks. No, I know. Please continue. Yeah, I had my son said the other day. What was it? Something about. Oh, we're talking about music or something. He goes, you are such a nerd. I goes, thank you. Yes. Thank yeah, you. I am. I'm a freaking nerd. <laughs> but take that. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Man. Well, you know what, what, what? How this connects to me about this, knowing how far you hit your wedge and whatnot, that flows so nicely into what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Mm. To me, is when you start to understand how technology and having more data can help you versus getting hamstrung or caught up in it, it just makes so much sense. Like, just the whole idea that if you put your golf course or where you like to play on Google Earth and you took a look and go, holy cow, I didn't know the, the landing area was that small there, so mm-hmm. maybe I'll hit three wood now. Or, geez, I have more room than I thought. I can hit driver on this hole. That's just from more more knowledge. Well, and that's really, you know, when Webb Simpson was interviewed after the Masters and he was asked about Will Zalatoris and just sort of the general question was, why are young players coming on the PGA Tour now and having an impact right away? And there's a million reasons. Some of the more obvious ones are there, you know, college golf now is... You know, if you're the, if you're in the top 50 amateurs on planet Earth, chances are you can win a PGA Tour event. I mean, that's how good these kids are. But one of the things that Webb Simpson said is he said these kids are coming out with a with course knowledge techniques like a decade right. so that they're able to 
get a golf course they've never played before. And because of the technique of mapping it out decade styles, you can have a pretty good sense of where you should hit it before you ever play the golf course, to your point. Yeah, so there's no excuse. You wouldn't get to a golf course and say, well, I don't know the course. Well, it's so easy. You, and <laughs> you sound a little bit, by the way, you sound a little bit like Mo there for a second. There's no excuse. There's no excuse if you go to a golf course. You shouldn't, you should be prepared. <laughs> you did a little Mo channeling there this morning. Very nice. Yeah, well, that happens from time to time, I'm told. But, um, I mean, again, we come back to golf, geeking out on golf. Um the, the the young people that are on my university golf golf team, this is stuff that they do. Before you go to a tournament, you'll hear them, you know, in the days when you could ride in a van together about, yeah, I was looking last night and I see number 15 is kind of weird and this and this and 16. Yeah. And, and you can use the technology to to learn more and there's our little um sound i just want you to know uh if we have time because i uh i i don't know how long let's let, let's do like 15 with him because there's some stuff i want to talk about after which is i spent an hour or two with lou stagner this past week cool uh getting a decade five there he is um and, and i've got a couple of when when we're just after our next guest i'm going to tell you i've got some uh one i want to finish off with something i call stats and expectations Okay, because I uh, I was given some more stats. This is uh, PGA of Canada teaching professional and the Canadian sales director for Super Speed Golf, Ryan Robillard. There you go. That's new. This is the emphatic introduction. (laughs) Yeah, we're all going with some new stuff here today. Yeah, we're going with some new stuff. We're wearing matching shirts, so that's not geeky. We we didn't mean to. Don't judge us, Ryan. You should have sent me the memo. I don't have a striped shirt on. I got a black shirt on underneath. Well, you know, and one day when you're as hip as me and Tim Tim here, you'll be. Yeah. No, you're color coordinated with the hat. I know. I know your deal. Oh, I did. There was definitely a quick look in the mirror to make sure. Okay, blue, blue, blue. Okay. Now you look great, man. Hair though. Um, No, no hair issue. So no, there's just not much hair under there. You you can have 60 seconds to rant about the golf demic and uh, what a horse's asshole uh, Doug Ford is and how he's riding in in a car. First of all, just for the record, I've been playing golf uh, in Toronto for 30 plus years. I have never carpooled to the golf course. Maybe. Yeah, anyway. yeah. I I won't take sixty seconds. It uh, it's unfortunate. Um, it's unfortunate. It sucks. I can't wait for it to end. Very well said, sir. <laughs> Concise. That's why you're a guest on this show. Very good. Um, I just revealed to Tim that I have been. Uh, I've had the super speed sticks for uh, several years. And I uh, used them, and then I, I lent them to a friend. He gave them back to me this winter, and I've started using them again in concert with the, is it PRGR or PGR? PRGR, PRGR yep. Okay. What a, what a great combination, because in my own home <laughs> where I live, and I have a whole golf laboratory, I can do my speed training and see on my little monitor if it's having any effect please discuss yeah it's uh um i I guess any 
any training you want to do or any increases you want to make, you have to be able to quantify. Yes. Um, and, and that's why we sell the PRGR. We feel it's one of the most, especially for the price point, like you're 259 Canadian, you're 200 US. In terms of a price point, it's, it's super affordable um, and just allows you to quantify. Like you said, you're in the middle of a training session and you think you're having a good day. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm feeling fast today. Is this actually working? You know, I've been working out a little bit more. I, I stretched this morning before my session. You're able to look back and say, Ooh, I haven't seen a 107 before. I'm on to something here. E- easy think- there. Easy there, kid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> easy now. I got, wait, I'm only going to say, cause I was all like, I got up to 102 and suck it. Yeah. So if I saw 107, I'd, I wouldn't be on this call. I'd be trying to Monday qualify on the super um, seniors. But, but being able to see that, especially for a lot of, especially for a lot of players, most of us are competitive and then you become competitive with yourself. Yes. Oh, well, last Friday when I trained, you know, I was a little groggy. I had a couple pops in the parking lot after my round of golf with yeah. Doug's buddies. And exactly. I was a little slow. Well, but today I'm feeling better. I had a good breakfast. So I'm going to get after it. And then you see the climb and then that continues to feed um, uh, your interest level and your and your wantingness to train and all that fun stuff. Ryan, I want to ask you, how did you become involved in super speed? Was it in working in your own game? I know that you also help coach uh, the Windsor Lancers golf team. How did you come to become interested in this? Was it seeing benefits with your own game or your teaching or just how? Yeah, it's actually, it's a little bit of an interesting story. So I attended the 2016 uh, World Golf Fitness Summit, which is put on by TPI. Uh, I became TPI certified in early 2016 and, and kind of became fascinated with with understanding the body and in relation to um, to how it affects our ability to make golf swings and, and physical limitations and all that fun stuff. So I decided to take a deep dive and say, you know what, I'm going to attend this World Golf Fitness Summit. I'm a golf pro with a bunch of fitness pros. Um, and Super Speed Golf, I, I guess, being relative unknowns, th- that was kind of one of their big coming out parties or one of their big conferences that they attended and was talking to them a little bit um, about their product and getting to understand their product a little bit. And, and we had had a few conversations, so I decided to get a set. But at the time, they, they only did distribution in the U.S. And they had a, and we were kind of chatting. We were kind of chatting. We had, we had a, uh, I believe we ended up going out for dinner. And they're like, so where are you located? And I give them the breakdown. They go, how close is that to Detroit? And I said, it's extremely <laughs> close to Detroit. And they're like, well, would you be interested in maybe, you know, like just shipping a couple sets, maybe answering a couple of emails? And, and I was like, Sure. Okay. That that sounds that sounds fine. And as it's continued to grow, a few orders has turned into a few hundred orders or a few thousand orders. Um, and and obviously they've continued to have massive growth. I think that 2016 was a good year for them, and then 2017 at the PGA Show was kind of like their initial explosion. And then obviously it started to get a lot of traction on tour with tour players using it. Um, and now it's on a, it's on a very strong trajectory. Um, it was one of the fortunate things that that the pandemic and lockdowns, super speed training is something you could do on your own. Mm-hmm. You don't need a whole lot of space, if especially if you have the ability to be outdoors in your yard or whatever it is. Um, so I think that that really propelled it to have um, a very strong 2020. Normally, it, normally quite popular in the winter, kind of off season training that kind of levels off a little bit in the summer when people are out playing instead of instead of training. Um, but last year there wasn't a whole lot of playing. There was a lot more training going on. Um, and, and, and the way, and the way it's going in Canada, it seems like it might be another training filled summer as opposed to playing. Okay. Let's talk about the search for speed and, um, trying to get 
more speed in your golf swing, which translates to more yardage, which translates to shorter approaches, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I just wonder, having gone through the protocols and now going through them again, I'm starting basically over because I've been back at it for a week or two. I'm just two questions I want to ask. How would, so, because most of the men and women listening to this show, somewhere between 45 and 65, and have probably thought to themselves, okay, this is kind of it for me. The average male golfer, I just read this, I'm sorry I'm full of stats these days, but I just read this. Average male golfer, I think it's either 213 or 220. I'm I'm in that ballpark as far as how far they hit their driver. So let's just use a round number. If I'm a guy that hits a 220 and my club head speed is 95 or let's say 90. If I'm 220 at 90 miles an hour, what do you say, Ryan, to somebody who's thinking about super speed? What could I achieve if I'm an average male or female going through the protocols? So on average, what we see um, and and essentially it's a number that we've seen tested through our customers for, for years now is on average, you see an initial gain in the first six weeks of about 5%. Uh, regardless if you're starting at 70 miles an hour or hundred miles an hour, 110 there, there, there's some players that gain like crazy percentages, 15% mm. club head speed. There's some that gain 3% club. Head okay. Speed. Pardon, on average, par- we see pardon 5%. me. Pardon me, Ryan. So that's training for six weeks. How many times a week? So the, the nice part of our the, the nice part about our product and what we feel we have three times a week and protocols take, including a warm up, ten to fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. especially kind of once you get used to it. So for us we don't we don't want it to be uh, a massive elaborative program because we know that the average golfer that you that you referenced has no interest in doing that, or for mm-hmm. the most part has very little interest. So if you tell them, okay, three days a week after you have your coffee, before you go to work or after work, you, you get in your garage, you get in your space, you do our dynamic warm up, which takes three minutes. Level one protocol is 39 swings. Get in, swing as hard as you can, get out. Three times a week. Uh, that's all we recommend. A lot of people say, oh, well, that seems kind of short. If I train more, uh, can I get faster? The unique thing about what we're doing as opposed to, let's say, strength training. Strength training or any type of running or anything like that, you feel soreness in your muscles because it's your muscles that you're working. What we're doing with super speed is we're trying to reprogram your neuromuscular reaction time. Yeah, that is the, the that that is the the nerdy kind of term that we're trying to do. But the tricky part is that you cannot feel when that has been stretched or exhausted or anything like that. So you need the rest. It's like if you were to train with super speed every single day because, oh, it's only 15 minutes, there's a very slim chance you would see any increase because your system, your nervous system needs the chance to rest and recover. So normally what we if someone says, well, lay out a plan for me, I say, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you take the weekend off because weekend you're doing your own things. You come back Monday morning, you're fresh, you get after it. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 minutes, get in, swing hard, get out. If I may, I'm sorry, I just wanted a quick follow-up, unless you were going to go in this direction. I want Ryan to talk, because you sort of touched on it. There's a psychological barrier. And it's interesting, and I I never understood that about super speed, but I've been doing some reading that part of what it does is what you just touched on. 
there's a there's a barrier of of a of per, a perceived speed that super speed breaks down. Correct, and I and and what we have like we didn't we didn't uh, like we didn't create over speed training, but what we know. Um, and we got this actually from other sports is that everyone's brain essentially has a governor on it and it's how fast your body feels comfortable doing a movement. So the reason why our super speed system is three clubs or three weights, 20% lighter, 10% lighter, 5% heavier, you reduce the weight to get your body moving quickly. And then your brain very quickly starts to realize, Oh, I can make this movement at this speed comfortably safely, all that fun stuff. What we normally notice, and and I'll use round numbers. So let's say a hundred miles an hour. Let's say I swing a hundred miles an hour. If I grab the green club, which is 20% lighter on average day one, we expect someone's going to be able to swing that about 117, 118 on their dominant side. So right off the hop day one, you're starting to make reps where your brain goes, okay, I'm recognizing this is a golf club or, or a golf program I'm running. I'm getting in posture. I'm making this backswing. But I've just made this quicker, and everything was okay. Mm-hmm. And then we keep pushing and pushing. As you work through protocols where we feel kind of rubber meets the road, is you start light. So that guy who swings 100 goes 118 with the light club. Then we go medium. They start to swing 115, 114. But then we go heavy. That third club, which is 5% heavier, But since we primed the body, we started light, medium, heavy. You start swinging something that is heavier than your driver faster. Day one, we kind of expect 109, 111. So now the brain is saying, okay, I can move things quicker, even if they're heavier. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of where we start to reprogram the nervous system to understand that you can actually move quicker. You see it in other sports like uh, um, javelin, football, baseball, any throwing sport where you're trying to speed up a part of your body. Um, you reduce the load to get your brain to believe that or to believe and understand that you can move quicker and then reintroduce it. A sprinter wants to get faster. You have them run on a decline or on, on like downhill to get their legs moving faster to understand, oh, I, I actually can move them faster. And then you go back to normal um, or stabilize afterwards. Wow. And then, yeah. And and then another thing we get a lot of questions about is, uh, is we do non-dominant swings and, and, and non-dominant swings is kind of like a hot button issue with some people. Some people mean a right, a a right hander swinging left handed. Yeah. That's part of the protocol that you do all these swings all the way through the clubs left handed in my case. Correct. So two, Two main reasons why we do that. The Another one, or I would say the most important one is called deceleration training, which your body can only accelerate as fast as it can decelerate. And the reason why you train your non-dominant side is let's say that you're a right-handed golfer and, and let's say you do a lot of driving with your left-hand side. Your right-hand side over time, all what it does is let's say throw, right? Like it just kind of fires around. It it never absorbs any load Mm. or or not as much load. We flip the other side to, let's say we're going to balance out our body. So the ability to push and drive and fire with our right-hand side, let's get that going with our left-hand side as well. So we have a balanced body that recruits all muscles. Okay. You make a golf swing, you're only asking half of the body's muscles to fire in a certain way. You flip it around, you start to balance it out. 
So the, the, the term, the term deceleration training um, is one that we believe is extremely important. You could, your body can only accelerate as fast as it can decelerate. Okay. If you can't hold your balance, as an example, your body, your brain's never going to let you swing 130 miles an hour if you're going to fall over. Yeah, I, I've got some questions about those numbers here in a second, but go ahead, Timmy. It, Howard was saying before you came on, Ryan, he loves doing this show because we could geek geek out. I'll just go. Like, I could do this could nine go, hours. We could do this yeah, exactly. show nine for hours nine talking about. fucking hours. <laughs> and once you get into this, this is the like, highlight oh. of my day. Later, I'm going to be talking to my girlfriend about whether she wants me to buy outdoor furniture or not, and I'm going to try not to stab myself in the eyeballs. But I'm, I'm hearing about this, you know, this this decelerate thing. Like, oh yes, this is so cool. I must decelerate. <laughs> how this this integrates it's awesome but what so much of what we talk about on this show is again obviously this show is largely you know for six years talking about the mental game to me what's so interesting about this is that that we're using our brain in obviously integrated with our body everything starts in the brain but i think what you're doing ryan is allowing people to have an experience of something that they may not have experienced before that has nothing to do with folding the right elbow or turning the left hip. Swing as hard as you can. And I think that my sense is, and what I want to bounce this off you, is this as much of allowing people to have an experience they may not have had before because they swing a little careful, Mm -hmm. they want to do, you know, match this sort of model, but you're giving them an experience they may not have had before and in which they may experience a new degree of freedom abandon and yes so i think did you say abandon howard yeah yeah Yeah, swinging with abandon yeah right because a lot like as much as we think i want to swing as hard as i can your body parts moving quickly is more like a subconscious thing as it is a conscious thing you can tell yourself well i'm going to rotate as fast as i can but you have that governor that's going to max out what you can do so then you have so essentially you're almost training the subconscious so that when you get to that technical point we'll make sure i take it wide bring the elbow in tight whatever those terms are you're doing that after training your body to understand why i can do these things quicker what we notice with a lot of people um because a comment that we get a lot is well yeah gaining speed is fine but what about accuracy or solid hit right or solid contact we actually notice it's actually quite rare that people become less accurate when they gain speed properly. When Mr. Jones stands on the first team, just says, oh, I'm going to try to swing as hard as I can. What do we see? We see his arms move as fast as they can. His body doesn't do anything. He's holding on to the club too tight and he wipes across it. Mm-hmm. As we go through our protocols, we actually work through three different segments, which we call the speed pyramid. And the different protocols, the step drill, the kneeling, uh, the kneeling swings, heel stomp, double step, they train three levels of that pyramid, ground reaction forces, your ability to use the ground properly, shift weight, center of pressure, all that kind of fun stuff. Rotational sequencing, once you get your lower body and your weight moving properly, the ability to rotate the upper body, not tilt and throw like so many average golfers do. And then the third one is training the ability to create a little bit extra lag or the ability to generate some lag based on top of that. It's not technique based. It's more movement, pressure, rotation based. And when people think of it that way, 
as opposed to don't roll the forearm, keep the elbow out, bring it up. What we notice with so many people, when your thoughts become very technical based, tension goes up, squeeze the grip. And we all know as soon as tension goes up. We've been saying this for six years. Right. (laughs) As soon as tension increases, you're toast. You're going to hit shorter, more crooked. Um, There's no denying that. Well, I want you to come with me on a journey now. Let's go. <laughs> I want you, know, you to come are we with getting me on a raft or anything. Or I want, you to, sort of a I want thing? you to come with a GSL on a journey. Do I have to close um, my eyes and you breathe? could? You could. Okay. You could shut your eyes and shut your face at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, the journey is this: in in the Fred Shoemaker Extraordinary Golf. Uh, one of the foundations, and Tim's taken uh, the course in person, and I've absorbed it as I do. Um, the idea of throwing a club, Fred's discovered this years ago that when people throw a club down the fairway, all of a sudden they're all the technical shit that they've been reading about actually happens naturally because there's a, a naturalness to the motion of throwing a golf club, which I've made. I'm, by the way, a plus seven when it comes to throwing. So here's the journey. There's a feeling of abandon when you throw a golf club, as Fred Shoemaker has documented. And I will tell you from having some recent experience, once again, with the uh, super speed sticks, is in order for me to swing as fast as I can. And isn't it interesting? That's one of the things. The first thing you when you when you read about super speed, they want you to rip it as hard as you can on every swing in the protocol, left and right. But the 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 first few swings I made, Ryan, I'm like, I wasn't thinking anything technical. I'm thinking, what do I have to do? What does my body have to do to swing this as hard as I can? And I got to tell you, they were good swings. But without me thinking about the things I'm working on, I was just thinking, okay, well, forget all that. I just have to let this go. And that was the journey, the, the combination of abandoning you know, the, the idea of just letting your body sense and feel what that is. How does that translate to the golf course? So uh, it's okay. My um, no, I was gonna, let me, let me ask two questions. Then. No. How does it translate to the golf course and how yep. soon after starting the protocols are you seeing in the super speed world results on the golf course? So day one, it depends when you do the training. If you do the training, 15 minutes. If you go right to the golf course, you're going to have some of that club head speed that has retained. But if you one do day. The, if, what, correct one day within a short window, mm. if you do that training in the morning and then you go to work and you work for eight hours and then go to the golf course and don't warm up, you're not going to yeah. see a whole lot because it's, it's impossible to, it's impossible to, to, to say, okay, well, I trained once this morning. I should be faster this afternoon but the reason why we say five percent in six weeks is because in six weeks that's 18 sessions Mm -hmm. we will see people swing faster after the end of session one but as you start to swing every other day and get some rest and recovery in there after 18 sessions your brain is at 18 sessions in six weeks your body has as well that's a lot of swings at this new speed that is where we see you can carry that speed full time, but then there's something else that happens. And we have a lot of data on this. After about six weeks, we normally see players plateau because you're not just going to incrementally increase club head speed forever. 
after about six weeks, that five to eight percent increase in club head speed, we normally see a plateau because that's when the body starts to say, okay, this new speed with the training I'm doing is my new normal. That's what I happens with fitness. That's what happens with weight training. The it's, same thing. Exactly. We're we're not making up something new. That is exactly what happens. You started at a hundred. You go at one hundred five. You're not just going to keep going up. Mm-hmm. And we normally see that that plateau phase will last about six to eight weeks, which is kind of the duration of our level two protocol. And then after about around kind of week twelve to fifteen, that's when you will see that second increase, which again can be about five to eight percent increase in clubhead speed. But the point that Tim made as well, which is something I'll say, it's like anything. You have to commit the time to do it. We feel we've made it as easy as possible. It's three clubs. You grab it, you swing it. All the research is done for you. All the protocols are done for you. You just have to do it. Mm-hmm. When we talk to players that say, well, I haven't gained anything, we usually ask them the exact same questions. How often are you training? Did you warm up beforehand? And are you swinging with maximum intent? And usually there's a no in one of those three. Mm-hmm. And that's what we tell them to change. Mm-hmm. And then we never hear from them again, assuming because they've done it or they've done what they're supposed to do and they get back on track. Right. I think you're making a reference to my accountability <laughs> workshop that I gave at the, the PGA a couple of years ago. Around- 100% though, 100%. Yeah. Well, accountability is, a, it, you know, I've, as I say during those workshops, it's it has a bad reputation. It's kind of like Buckley's cough syrup. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's good for you. But it tastes, yeah, it tastes awful, yeah. but it works. Yeah. But when you flip it, that's the point of it. It's aspirational. Yeah. And oh boy, if you're talking about grabbing a club three days a week, wow, that's really doable. And that would just feel so good. But the thing I want to just, I, I can't let this go, is now speaking personally, the thing that I've had to work a, a kind of against or with, if you my whole life in my golf and other parts of my life, is I was always Mr. Careful. So don't, don't overswing, all that kind of stuff. But what I find is this, what really intrigued me, Howard, I, this is what led to you getting you on the show, was, was it about hitting it further? Was it all about that? Or was it more about being, for Tim, and I'm sure there's other people might relate, of being less careful, swinging with more freedom, swinging with a sense of abandon, as Howard said. Speak to me about that how we can have an experience of maybe the results in, in swinging faster that makes golf more fun and we hit the ball more solid and more accurately. So the, there's an example that I use a lot when I teach people. Um, and I've actually started to recommend it for people that reach out about super speed over email that I can't see in person and talking about swinging with abandon or swinging freely. And let's say I have a person, I see their golf swing and I can tell that it's pretty thought filled and technically focused, and it doesn't look that good. And let's say for the average golfer, the one I see a lot is that the right arm doesn't work the way that we want, right? We come over the top, we get flying elbow, and we extend. I will give someone a ball, a golf ball, and assuming they throw right-handed, I just ask them to throw that ball. And all I do is I turn on my phone and I record them throwing the ball. Are you, quick, and, I just want to, I think this is important. No problem. Are you having them throw the ball from the golf posture position or more like just an overhand baseball throw? Any throw that I just tell them to make a throw. I give them zero instruction. I don't even reference golf posture or anything. Okay. And then all I do is record it. And 99% of the time, 
that player, when they throw, the elbow leads. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and you see that external motion. rotation versus uh, internal rotation is the biggest difference that all. And again, I'm not a professional, but all golfers that do it right, throw it like that. And all golfers that do it wrong, still throw it like that. Yep. So then what I tell the player is I say I show them the video and they say, OK, well, why did you why did you make me do that? I go, OK, here's your golf swing. Let's look at right arm. And from down the line, we see it goes right. And then we go that way. Yeah. And then when he goes to throw, he just goes, and it's just a beautiful, and it's just a beautiful motion. They goes, okay, well, what's the point of that? I said, well, the point is your brain knows how to use your trail arm properly. I just gave you a ball. You haven't thrown a ball in 10 years. And all of a sudden your sequence is perfect. <laughs> Don't get over the golf ball and become the tin man and squeeze it as hard as you can. And then start to do something crazy. And sometimes in lessons, I'll give someone a super speed club when I can tell that they're gears are grinding and smoke's coming out of their ears <laughs> and say, I just want you to let out a little bit of, of frustration right now. Cause I can tell you're frustrated and make three swings as hard as you can. I said, I don't care if you fall over. I record those swings. I flip it around, show them the camera. And I say, you're actually making the move you're trying to make here because you are not thinking about it. Exactly. But back to Tim's point about, well, how do we take it to the golf course? The thing I like about super speed is it's not technique based. And sometimes it just gets people to actually swing the golf club without thinking, which some average players never do. Because the second they get to the range, ball number one has got to be a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden they're making 39 swings a week that are thought free. So then all of a sudden they said, okay, that actually felt kind of good. They can get to the golf course without warming up and going right to the tee without getting over there and thinking a hundred thoughts and say, you know what? I'm just going to let this one rip. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that's really the point that we've been making since you came on that there's a, uh, it's not just, and it's, and I'm glad that you've made this point so well that it's not just a physical, you know, training program that really what it's doing is breaking down the barriers that we have for our perceived ability to swing a golf club, you know, and, and, all the things that recruit in the golf swing to make it go faster are kind of just built into the protocols. And, and I have found that again and getting back into it. And, and I was, I was going to take a little umbrage with the numbers you're saying, because when I started last week and I hit the first few swings with the, uh, the light thing, I wasn't at 117. So, <laughs> sorry. Cause my, I, I, I will say this though. I got some numbers with my, once I got the monitor, I was like, Jesus. Cause I was up around 108, 109, 110, which is way, that's 10% faster than I normally swing it. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, at 61, is it possible for me to get there in well, my regular, age, not your swing speed? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, exactly. But I, I was I was uh, surprised. I thought, wow, you know, maybe if I can get this to be around 105, that makes a big difference because For my sure. your, I, because your carry distance just goes up. Correct. And and, and I think to, to your point about um, at age, what can I get out of this? Um, I think to your point where some people say, well, sometimes I see the speeds I expect. Sometimes I don't. Yes. As we work through the protocols that my favorite drill out of all five levels that we have is the step drill. Yes. Which is a level one drill. Yep. Because what that teaches the average person, 45 to 65 who sits for 12 hours a day is it makes them step. So it forces them to have a shift 
to move some mass, to move some pressure. Mm-hmm. To is that like a baseball side. player? Is like a is that like the baseball player kind yeah. of stepping into it? Correct. So you start with your feet together, yep. and you start with the club out in front of you, and you start to swing the club back. And as soon as the club passes your toes, your lead foot makes that step. Right. So as this goes this way, you're going that way. So you get to the top of the backswing, you've already made a step. So we've essentially exaggerated transition, the timing yeah. of transition. So now you're making a downswing with pressure already on your, with a lot of pressure already on your lead foot, getting you to drive through as opposed to the classic hang back, fall back. Yeah, but you hear about that, you know, through anyone who's uh, played a certain level, we've read the books, we've watched YouTube, and you hear about players saying, okay, he's already, he hasn't even finished his backswing and his weight's already moving forward. And you go, mm-hmm. how does that happen? That's and cool. Ha- <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do I do that? How do I, I do that? And you're just like, there's two, again, we're back to thinking. And in essence, what, so what you're saying and what I, I, I find so intriguing, we're getting back to an instinctual way that we connect to a target. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was asking about the why you had people throw a ball, whether it's from a, a golf posture, is, is Fred Shoemaker is is actually he's kind, he's abandoned the club throwing thing. Has he really he's moved to ball throwing? Because oh. for one reason, because of people this, are too, people are too self conscious. They won't throw clubs. I mean, and but it's also not safe. <laughs> you know yeah, what people fair. throw. But when you throw a ball, anyways, the key point is it's instinctual, right? And and that's what I love about this and that way of like swinging with more freedom. And and I th- and just the point I want to make because I'm intrigued by it is why do you think this helps people hit the ball more solid? I just want you to address that. I think it's because it's, it goes back to the ball throwing example that once technical thoughts come down and tension comes down, it's amazing how much closer a player actually is to ha- to being fundamentally sound. Yeah. Right. As And you, you can go back as soon as you see tension, those arms get way too straight. And then on the backswing, the club comes inside and they have a bunch of tension, too many thoughts, and the club's not even parallel to the ground, the backswing and they're toast. It's amazing when you take the ball out of – because a lot of people say as well, you hear this a lot, well, I make a beautiful practice swing with no golf ball. Then what you're telling us, Mr. Mr. Jones, is that as soon as you're not technique-based and not Mm tension-based, all of a sudden your swing is beautiful. So then don't get in front of the golf ball and let thoughts come in. If you swing it beautiful without thinking about it, hit a golf ball without thinking about it. You get up there and make a swing. That's (laughs) well, listen, um, a lot of people have heard about these, uh, but now I think they're going to be very excited to go and get the super speed golf. Now you've talked about six weeks, 12 weeks, 15 weeks, but the takeaway I hope for some people is you're going to start to see some results instantly in terms of your numbers going up. But in six weeks, Ryan thinks you can gain 5%. And again, for most of us, that's a big difference. You know, like, you know, I'm sort of average to a little bit above average for the guys I play tournament golf against. Like there's, you know, a lot of, you know, guys on the senior am circuit that, you know, hit it pretty far, but not a, 
Not a ton. But I've noticed, though, that the guys that do hit it far have long, syrupy swings that they've had their whole lives, and they seem to swing with some freedom, and that's what Super Speed can do. How do people get a hold of you? How do people get a hold of Super Speed? What's the takeaway, Ryan? Um, so the take, so a few things. You hit it right on the head. You will see something day one. If you have the ability to quantify it, whether with a radar or a device, I think that that is part of the buy-in. Yes. You, let's say you buy the set. You go to – website's easy. Superspeedgolf.com or .ca if you're in Canada. Superspeedgolf.ca. Um, on social, it's just at Superspeedgolf. Um, but let's say you buy the set, and before you buy the set, you decide that you're going to swing your driver in your garage. And your driver comes up. It says 92 miles an hour. You go through the protocol. At the end of the protocol, you drive your you grab your driver again, and you swing it once, and you see 98. Like, light bulb moment. Ooh, there's something here. Yeah, man. I'm on to it. And I think, like, with a, there, like anything, there's always – you got to make sure you warm up, swing with maximum intent. But the three things I referenced earlier – Whenever someone says, you know, I've actually committed, but I'm not seeing the gains. Are you training when you're supposed to? Are you warming up? Are you swinging with maximum intent? You check those three boxes. We believe that you're going to increase club head speed 5%, 8%, which I think for a lot of players, like you said, 5% club head speed, that can be a game changer. Oh, absolutely. Totally. You're um, getting home in two on par fives. You're hitting less clubs in the green. You dive down the stats, or the, the strokes gain tunnel. We know the distance is the best way to, or the easiest way to, to lower your scores. Well, there's distance, or just move up a couple tees, you bastards! Come on. <laughs> um, do you notice that I'm? Do you do you hear the tie-in, Tim? Do you understand the music? Ario Speedwagon, ladies and oh gentlemen. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ryan. Good talking to you, my brother. Likewise. Thank you very right. much for the time, guys. And, and uh, we'll I, see you on a university tournament course this fall fingers crossed yeah no kidding Absolutely. hey um yeah. i've got your email i i have a couple of uh super speed questions do you mind if i just send them to you send them over thanks Happy paul i appreciate it all right guys. All right. very good that's fine good leave job meeting. <laughs> leave meeting get out of here ario a speed wagon oh my god yeah, there you go Sorry, I won't. I won't rant about Ario. That, that they were they were one of my sort of '80s bands that I loathed. But there you go. Um, I had the opposite experience uh, this week on the show, Humble and Fred show. We had one of my uh, idols from when I was growing up. I used to love this band, and uh, we had uh, Miles Goodwin of April Wine on. Oh yeah, dude, dude. There's so many. I was talking about geeking out. I the very first concert I ever saw in Moose Jaw. In my life, 1976 was uh, April Wine headlining the Moose Jaw Civic Center, and the opening act was Heart. Yeah. Oh my God. So I was ski. We had Miles on for about 40 minutes, That's and just CanCon too. Dude, double barrel, can double con. barrel. And um, I got to tell you, like the uh, just the, the he, they, between 1971 and 1982, they had 20 top 40 hits in Canada. Like just a machine. Anyway, it's really really fun. Yeah, um, first concert for me, I'll be brief. Yeah, no, uh, tell me. April Wine, Centennial Hall, London, Ontario. What? April Wine opening for Brownsville Station. <laughs> One Hit Wonders with Smoke and in the Boys Room. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah, I was trying to think. What was their song? I'll tell you, there's so many songs that I had forgotten, you know, Come Hear the Band, Ooh, What a Night, Could Have Been a Lady. But here's some goofy trivia for you. Their biggest hit, one of their biggest hits was Bad Side of the Moon. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that song? 
Or I should have it all. I have it all here, Bad Side. I wonder how many, of the, how many of their songs got covered. Well, interesting you say that, young man. Because this song was actually written by Bernie Taupin and Elton John. Seems as though I've lived my life on the bad side of the moon. I mean, seriously. Yeah, man. It's one of my favorite songs. Anyway, uh, years later, you know, I became a uh, golf spiritual leader and humble Howard. Thanks and for um, us back to golf. <laughs> and uh, I got a. I'm. I'm. I'm fra- I don't know if I've mentioned this a lot, but I'm buddies with uh, the drummer from Triumph. I played golf with him for years. Gilmore and Gilmore. Yeah. And he through him, I became buddies with Tom Cochran, who's also a very good golfer. And one we day, need Gil to get on this show. Sorry, pardon me. We need to get Tom Cochran on this show. Yeah, Tom is good. He's a. Uh, it's funny. I played a lot of golf with Tom, and I, we were at a um, charity tournament. Uh, this is after knowing this guy for like 15, 20 years. Pl- I'm, I'm serious. Played at the National with me all the time. And we were at this charity thing, and I was emceeing, and Tom was uh, playing. And so I introduced him. I go, here's a guy I've only really ever played golf with because I had. I'd never seen him in concert. And then he pl- I go, here's Tom Cochran. He gets up, and he plays a couple songs, and he comes and sits next to me and Fred. And I went... You're Tom Cochran. <laughs> I said, I just thought you were some douchebag that I golf with because we call him Do- Doogie, I, his nickname. I just, I just thought you were some guy that liked talking golf. I, 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 I sort of had disconnected with the fact. Oh, that's funny. That he was Tom freaking Cochran. Anyways, very good. So oh, yeah. um, through those guys, I had a chance to play a round of golf with Miles Goodwin. Now, I didn't bring oh, it up wow. on the show because we had too many other things to talk about. But I got to tell you. I was more nervous about that because I had such a I was such a fan of his when I was a kid. I was just all excited. I was like, Gil says, "Hey, we're going to play with Miles Goodwin." I'm like, "Oh, that's great, man." Anyway, I'll t- I just tell you my uh, my Tom Cochran story really briefly. Uh, so he was in Red Rider in, yes. in the eighties, and Lunatic that fringe. So yeah, but Red Rider was a band that was uh, they were popular in the states as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't just Canada, but anyways. Um, so I was a music critic for the Canadian Press News Agency in the eighties, and I'm interviewing Tom, and uh, I think I'd probably just come back from the golf course. And I was wearing a golf shirt, and he goes, "Oh, you're a golfer? Oh yeah, I'm a golfer. Yeah, I'm a golfer too." And we start talking. He plays at the nat uh, at the at um, shoot. It doesn't matter where he played, but anyways. Um, is it cool? And he goes, uh, just quick thing though, uh, don't mention golf. Yeah, <laughs> in the article. Yeah, because in the eighties, pre-Tiger golf, not cool. Not cool. It's funny you say that. I worked at uh, CFNY The Edge from nineteen eighty nine till two thousand and one, and during that time, I'd won the you know Clemson Championship with the National, played in the Canadian Amateur, never talked about it once on the show. Then Fred and I get hired. Uh, we go to uh, this radio station. It was called Mojo Radio, talk radio for guys. The oh, very yeah. first shift, I got to start talking about the fact that I was a golfer for the first time on the air at all. Because, you know, well, when you're at it. the edge, no one at the edge wants to hear you're a golfer. Um, I don't think I, I don't have time for the story now, but I think I've told you this off the air that uh, Tom Cochran once broke up a fight between me and Gil Moore on the golf course. 18th tee at the National. Oh, yeah. It was go time, buddy. Oh, yeah. We got time. We got time for this. It's a no, no, because I got stat stuff to throw. No, but I'll tell you the story sometime. All I remember is in the middle of me wanting to punch Gil Moore in the face, uh, Tom Cochran of Red Rider and Tom Cochran fame is holding me back. I'm thinking, this is fucking surreal, Howard. You're totally, from it's you're surreal. from Moose Jaw. 
Yeah, I played. Uh, Tom is a. Uh, you want to talk about a golf nerd, man? I have uh, the three of us. Tom, Gill, and I hit a lot of golf balls, a lot of range time with those guys. Anyone um, who gets good at anything geeks out on it. So you can imagine oh, yeah. a guy who gets that good as a singer, a songwriter, a, just a musician. Oh, yeah. They put in their time. And that you bring that type of dedication to anything like golf, you're going to get pretty damn good at it. I'll be honest with you. Last summer I played with him. Uh, I didn't play with him. I saw him on the range at the uh, Senior Am Qualifier. You know, we were shooting the breeze there before the round. Because, he, you know, he's he, he plays in those tournaments from time to time. Not Oh, yeah. Not maybe consistently, but, you know, he can shoot a good number. He's got a, you know, I I laugh because one year we're at the Nash Invitational. This is only a few years ago. And uh, he was in the group ahead of me. Anyway, I, I got two stories going. So last summer he qualified and I didn't. And I sent him a note. I was so jealous and pissed off. I'm like, F you, Tom. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But he, you know, he shot like seventy five and qualified. But years years ago at the Nash Invitational, and the front nine was over, and we're standing there. We all started in the back nine, so we're waiting on the first tee. And I'm talking to Tom; he's in the group, and uh, he doesn't tell. I know he wasn't having a good day because I could see where he was in the golf course. Anyway, the guy that the guy that was playing with him kind of walked over me. He goes, "Yeah, Cochran's not having a good day." I said, "Well, it's a tough golf course." He goes, "Yeah, I think he's. I don't think he broke 50. <laughs> <laughs> So I didn't bring it up. I'm like, hey, Tom. Um, so what do you? How, what's your time like? I know you're always busy. You have webinars and seminars on your no, gun counting. Uh, I could talk golf nine hours today. All right. Seriously. All right. Well, I think somebody's somebody's going to phone me today. But so I uh, I mentioned I had a chance to uh, work with Lou Stagner from uh, Decade. Uh, we did a little uh, exchange. He uh, he's on a podcast called uh, Hack It Out with uh, Scott Fawcett and a teacher from the UK named Mark Crossfield. And Mark oh, Crossfield's gosh. got Those... huge. Oh, Mark he... Crossfield's uh, well huge. Known. Yeah, six hundred thousand YouTube followers, whatever. But uh, they do a podcast together. So We're Lou in asked... that direction. Say yeah, oh, yeah. We're on our way. So Lou asked me to listen to the podcast and you know give him some feedback, and so uh, he oh, gave nice. me some uh, help with the decade and some discussions about you know how to plot your way around a golf course you've never played. And I found it fascinating, but lovely. I wanted to share some because uh, w- one of the things, and I think it's a a good spot for us in terms of the average player. And one, you know, we've talked about expectations and. Uh, wondering where we're all supposed to hit it and how good we're supposed to be. So I'm going to give you some numbers and uh, just a couple things I picked out from the decade, you know, seminar. And uh, I have to be nervous about getting it right and stuff. So well, yeah, because here's Let's just start with if you're sick, <laughs> if you were 80 yards from the green, if I were 80 yards from the green, well, let's just do a little fun experiment. You're 80 yards from the green from the fairway. Mm-hmm. What would you normally consider a decent to good shot? Like, just give me feet. 15 feet, 20 feet, 5 20 feet, feet. 20 feet. 20 feet would be... 20 feet eight, would be... 80 yards from, from the fairway. Okay. Yeah, 20 feet would be acceptable. So I'll just give you a little background. In the strokes gained world, people know that they've heard, they've heard the term strokes gained, you know, off the tee, greens and whatever. And... And basically what it is is a way to, to compare yourself to how the field is doing on average. So if everyone on the first hole is making a birdie and you make a, a par, you're basically losing a you're losing a you, you lost a strokes gain. You're minus one. 
But in order to gain zero strokes, and what this means is to be just average, to gain no strokes, to just sort of be, to just be a sort of neutral, right? From 80 yards from the fairway on the PGA Tour, you gain zero strokes at 13 feet. That's the PGA Tour. If you're from the rough, their average proximity from 80 yards from the rough is 26 feet. Right. That's that means you're just average. So look at you and I. We're no we're we're just decent to not very good. And if we're 80 yards from the fairway and we hit it between 13 and 20 feet, we're like a tour player on that shot. Wow. Now, I find that's I don't know why maybe you don't find it as fascinating as I do, no, but I, I, do, I do. No, I'm just saying like to me that's a a revolution. It's revelatory, well, you know? It it speaks exactly what you brought this up a couple of weeks ago around expectations. And so if we have these high level of expectations and we don't live up to them, well, we're going to be disappointed. We're yes. going to be angry. Might even go down this rabbit hole of, oh, I guess I suck and I still need to do this. As opposed to, well, BGA Tour players don't, <laughs> they hit it to, you know, whatever, 26 feet. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So it just, it just, you just get to play with a little degree of a uh, little bit more of equanimity. Well, you know, and and that's why, again, I don't know if this why I, I'm not being facetious, but the reason I ask is, is it as interesting to others? Because I, I want people to, I've been sending these things to my brothers and some of my friends that are higher handicapped golfers, because I, if I'm having a an aha moment around these, because I put too much pressure on myself. Completely. You do, I do, Rudra does, uh, Ronan does, David, Stephen, all my friends and family. We're putting too much pressure on ourselves. And what Decade is teaching us, in, in my case, me, is what's a reasonable expectation? Buddy, when you get out to 140 yards, like I got 140 yards to the green, and if I don't hit it in there close, I'm steaming, right? A PGA Tour professional loses, gains zero strokes at 140 by hitting it to 21 feet. If they're in the rough, guess what? 48 feet is average. Wow. What a difference. What a difference. So I, if I'm at 140 and I'm in the rough and I miss the green or I'm just on the edge, I might, I might go, what's wrong? Why did you pull a hug it? What's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I can't wait to get out and play again because with these numbers in mind, I'm going to be a lot easier. The, ba- the, the takeaway is this. I'm going to be easier on myself. Totally. And, 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 and I think what the key point is here is it, it's, it's not patently obvious, but I think it's this, is that what you're saying is let's not be happy with, say, some mediocrity. You know, what you're saying is, is that with this perspective, yes. you're actually you, – you give yourself a bit more freedom. Yes, and and I think what'll happen is you you you're less of riding an emotional roller coaster. I you know I suck. I'm great. <laughs> all this right. uh, because we do we go these vicissitudes of golf is all over the place. I love that roller coaster image of just going around going I suck. I'm great. I'm suck. I shit. I'm good. Look at me. <laughs> but that's just so bang on. I love yeah. the way you 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 did that. But the thing is is that when we are easier on ourselves. The game becomes easier, and the the occasional time you hit a bad shot, and sometimes it turns out okay. Yeah. The same way we said that you hit a a, a a good shot, and it doesn't work out so well because why? Because that's golf. Because that's golf. <laughs> and, and 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 again, I mean, I think I knew a, a lot of this sort of instinctively, but I am still, and this has been my biggest 
you know, I still need to work on this, is not being so hard on myself. And uh, a lot of these statistics that I've been, you know, absorbing now, I realize how hard on Howard I have been with with really no good reason. It's like Dameron told me years ago, I'm not this I'm not good enough to get this mad. And he was right. Because from 100 yards, here's a here's one I'll give you. 100 yards from the fairway, this is the average proximity of all shots tour pro, 18 feet. That's that's the average. Wow. If you're a scratch golfer, which is what my, you know, I'm I am you or I'm hoping golfer. to be. You are a scratch golfer. Just 26.4 that means if so, you're a six handicap. So if my if my sort of zone is 26 to 30 feet, and that's a pretty good shot from 100 yards. So if you're a 10 handicap, what's your proximity expectations from 100 yards? Hit the green. Exactly. And, and pat yourself on the back. Like, good shot, buddy. Like, I think of some of the, sh- the holes at Glen Karen. And I think, you know, what am I? Why am I upset? If I hit it 30 feet short or right or left or long, I'm just, I'm shitty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But the, the, the thing that's interesting to me about this, again, is, is that you, you talk about your heart on Howard. Well, I think most of us, and I say this to a lot of people, thank you for confirming your humanity. Exactly. We all are very tough on ourselves. Again, it's the cliche. Who's our harshest critic? Ourselves. Yes. And because we get these stories, this perception that, oh, I'm supposed to do this and, oh, I suck and all this. Goodness gracious. When we kind of, not kind of, when we can let go of that, of those stories and the belief system and this this harshness that we view ourselves and it's the way we pummel ourselves and self-flagellate. Um, can we say that on a family show? I've already said fuck three times on this show. I think, I think flagellate would be okay. Okay. Anyways, when we stop doing that stuff, we, you know, again, back to what we're talking about with Ryan and what we talk ad infinitum here is we play with a bit more freedom. Yeah. And gosh, I think that's what really, that's what this is about is being able to go on a golf course and, and just have some fun. And, and it's not that we hit it willy nilly or sideways. But we also play better. Listen, um, I, there's a there's a, a short par four at Glen Karen. It's on Scotch Block. It's the uh, third fourth hole. So about yep. three fifteen. I usually hit hybrid and a gap wedge. Is that one up the hill? No, no, no. It's the one after the part. Yeah, 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 I, 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 I could show it. I mean, my point is, it's a three hundred fifteen yard hole where I generally have a gap wedge or my fifty four degree wedge into the hole between ninety and hundred yards. And, and if I don't hit it close, I can tell you how many times I've been pissed off at myself because I'm 35 feet from the hole. And again, I'm looking at this now. When that happens from now's on, I'm just going to go, okay, Howard, well, that's about average. You know, uh, forget all the targeting stuff that Decade does, and I think it does a great job. But it's the, and, and it's funny, Lou and I had this conversation this week. It really is the mental side of the game that Decade is great at because knowing these kind of things and knowing, you know, it, it all comes down to what you just said. It's all about having more fun and being freer and being less. And what I say about being less hard on yourself. The last thing I'll, I'll relate to is I'm around the green. OK, so you and I are, let's say, 10 yards from the hole. We haven't short-sided ourselves. It's just a standard pitch. 
Now, from 10 yards off the hole, off the green, I would I would be trying and working and pressing to hit it stiff, to get it right next to the hole. Mm-hmm. And when I don't, I'd be pissed at myself. Exactly. Like a lot of us. On the PGA Tour, to gain zero strokes from 10 yards, from the rough, so you're from the fringe, 5 feet 11 inches. That's astonishing. 6 feet gets you no strokes lost, no strokes gained. That is astonishing. Dude, if you're in the bunker on the PGA Tour, to, to get zero, to be neutral, average, seven feet, four inches. So there's me, who sucks, and you, who also, fellow suckage. With due respect. To due respect, but we're not very good compared to Justin Thomas. If I'm 10 yards off the green and I hit it to six feet, I'd be look at you and go, what the fuck's wrong with me today? Nothing. Exactly. And, and I can tell you just from my little practice out at Stan Park where I can hit a wedge or two. You know, I, I've started trying this stuff. I've started being, okay, I'm 20 yards from that tree. Um, of these 10 shots, what's my pattern? Well, yeah, some are yeah. close. Some are 8 yards or 8 feet. Some are 15 feet. Some are stony. Some are stony. But, but, you know, the thing is I put so much pressure on myself to practice my short game and and here's the last thing psychologically so let's say you hit a decent shot it's 10 yards away and you hit it to six feet two or average then knowing that that's a decent to good shot it gives you a psychological different approach to the par putt because i'll tell you the truth tim if i have a six footer for par after i thought i had a chip that was pretty easy i'd be pissed at myself Absolutely. And it would affect my ability to sink that par putt. But if you watch it on TV this weekend, they're sinking six footers for par all the time. That's all they do. But again, think of the drama that we create for ourselves. Yes. And it's really ridiculous. And again, it comes back to our our perceptions. This is one of the key things I learned from, from Fred Shoemaker is He's been talking about awareness forever. He says, and that can take you so far. But if your perceptions are, this is the way the world works. I'm supposed to get it close from 10 yards. Mm -hmm. That's the way the world works. So that's what, as a good player, that's what I do. If I don't, if my reality doesn't meet that perception, well, something's wrong. Yes. I suck. I don't know how to do this. Blah, blah, blah. The spiral vortex of death. Mm-hmm. Whereas when our perceptions are, when we free ourselves from that, then we get, to, again, we get to operate with a bit more of freedom. And good golf, you can only play good golf when you don't have a whole bunch of tension and you're not living and dying with every shot. Well, I can tell you, you know, I'm burning through the uh, the decade. You know, it's a six-month course and I'm on month six. Uh, in the last three or four weeks, and I've slowed down. I can imagine. Oh, Boy, if you're taking the deck, if you're in the, if this was a decade class with Lou Stagger, so like you'd be at the front of the class, and you'd be bringing him an apple every day. Oh, I know. Hi, it's, Mr. Stagner. You look nice today. It's so funny because at one point he was asking me about because we were we were going through uh, the decade system on a hole and we were doing the Google Earth thing and we were mapping out the driving and blah, blah, blah. And he said, OK, so it's 140 yards. What's the decade monitor, mod, modifier? And I just came up with seven. He goes, are you do you have do you have something in front of you? I went, no, I just I just have this <laughs> so, now. So if you're a decade, if you're a decade school, would the cool kids take you out behind the superintendent's oh, shed yeah. and beat you up? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you to Jonathan Wong. Next uh, week, we're uh, recording on uh, Wednesday. 
And uh, we're going to be talking to a guy named John Sherman. He's uh, got a blog called Practical Golf. Uh, I mentioned him a few weeks ago. We talked about his two out of three uh, system where, you know, of the uh, driving approach shots and short game, you know, as a, as a good player, no one to, to have a decent round, you only need two of those three to be working. One out of three, as he says, will give you your average round. Two out of three will give you a great round. It's when you have zero out of three working that you have trouble. Uh, again, a psychological trick you could play on yourself. You mean like, I'm not driving it good today, but man, like I'm putting and chipping and those things can still you know, be good. Uh, so he's on next week, but we're also going to give away some stuff from Jonathan Wong and TaylorMade. Because it's the PGA Championship. PGA Championship. Um, and Rory, uh, we didn't talk about Rory today, but that's something to look forward to. Yeah, he, he's uh, he won uh, last week on the PGA's that, of course, he won the PGA on the last time they played the PGA in there. When he had long, kind of curly hair. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to say as we're saying goodbye, young man? Is there some stuff you want to just tell people to uh, enjoy themselves? Yeah, I mean, in <laughs> Ontario people. Oh, um, yes, the golf thing, yes. Tell you what, I'm, I, I've been practicing acceptance. So I have been going on social media and because I, and raging at the government because yeah. it'll, it'll just make me uh, more upset. Can you see it. what it says there? Gratitude practice. There you go. I said, okay. I made a decision about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. I said, you know what? I'm not going to spend the next three weeks in a state of rage and disappointment and being pissed off. And it will only end when golf comes back because that's what is that going to do for me? Hey, I'm going to tell you what, uh, Sandy, my dear darling wife, uh, partner, I guess people say these days, is going to London on Sunday. I think I'm pretty close to making a firm decision that I'm going to walk Blue Springs backwards. Well, they let you do that. Yeah, I mean, apparently all kinds of people are. I heard that, uh, so Thames Valley Golf Club in London, where my my brother, my brother lives in London, he says that on a lovely day, on a weekend there, he says there are upwards of 25 people on one hole. Yeah, well, we could talk about that. I mean, my daughter lives across from... Uh, Trinity Bellwoods Park and yesterday when it was like 20 for the first time in a few weeks it was just you know packed with people you know they just can't have a golf club in their hand but that being said <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try my best to just not you know it's like it's like what we talk about on the show it was like people say oh I'll be happy if I can you know have a good round of golf or I'll be happy when I can finally play good well I'm not going to wait I'm just going to enjoy the next three weeks I'm going to work on you know some stuff and I'm going to do the super training a super speed training and I, you know because I don't want to wait till June 2nd to be happy I just don't have enough time left in my life you know hey at our stage in life we might be effing dead well there you go <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, what a great way to. <laughs> what a great way to. <laughs> well, that's right. Don't and on, and what we say here at Swing Thoughts is don't wait to be happy because soon you could be dead. Good night, everybody. Uh, brought to you by Jonathan Wong Apparel Inc. and of TaylorMade Golf, TaylorMade.ca, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and of course you can see behind me the humble and Fred show. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>